Hey guys, welcome back to Fat Man Little Trail, the podcast. We have a very special edition today. Uh, my first interview on the podcast and joining me is meteorologist Matt Makins. Matt has been a mainstay at Denver Television over the last decade as a meteorologist and the ABC station, the CW stations, and now he's branching out on his own with his own project. Uh, Matt is all sorts of certified meteorologists, and I'm really excited to have him join me today. Matt, thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me. Welcome to the dungeon. The dungeon we called the remote TV studio since COVID started. It kind of looked like a TV studio, but uh, don't let the children artwork behind me uh, fool you. It's uh, pretty, pretty cheap, pretty cheap setup down here. Oh, it looks wonderful. It looks wonderful. <laughs> um, Got to start out just wondering about this new project. Tell me a little bit about it. It's called Macon's Weather, right? Tell me about that. That's right. Um, for a number of years, I kind of had a kind of an inkling or a, a sense that I needed kind of something on the side. That TV, local news is not necessarily sustainable, especially for a guy in his 40s. Uh, I'm not much of an entertainer. I'm just a data guy. Um, so for a number of years, I've been kicking around. What if I started my own radio network? Or what if I went into industries that need long-term forecasts or even short-term forecasts? Or what if I approached event planners that may, you know, like downtown Denver has huge events all the time. What if they need just a weather source? And so all these years of thinking about and knowing all these industries that need weather coverage, TV contracts usually prevent that. And coming into the, the winter and the spring of 2021, uh, just with the, the world of COVID and seeing how much of my kids' lives I was missing out on by being at work every night on TV and not getting home till 12, 12.30 in the morning, I thought this is my chance you know, uh, this is my chance to go out and reach these industries that need weather help. Uh, I've been a communicator for 20 years. Uh, I do well on social media. And those are things in the weather and the technical, the scientific community that there's a need for. So I'm trying to fill those needs, whether it be crisis communications, uh, largely weather communications, and then also largely how we're reacting to climate and seasonal variability with long-term weather forecasts. So uh, kind of all the dreams that I've had cooking here in the back burner, uh, that's what I'm working on now. And you grew up in Colorado, correct? Like, weren't you a local person? So you're, you, you're uniquely set to uh, forecast here in the state? Right. So uh, I live in Castle Rock now and born and raised in Castle Rock. So when I left in 98, I never thought that Castle Rock would be on the map for me again. Uh, and then my wife and I moved back to the city in uh, 2010. And then 2013, uh, we decided the city wasn't for us. It was a little too busy. Uh, so we came down to Castle Rock and she found a house and I didn't push it. Trust me, I didn't push it. But she said, this is the house for us. So I'm back at home and uh, yeah, born and raised. So uh, Castle Rock has changed a tremendous amount since I was little, uh, but it still feels like home, good comfort, and very happy to raise my own kiddos. I have two. I'm so very happy to raise them here where I grew up. And a lot of uh, like high school buddies and even some elementary and preschool buddies are still around. So a pretty good tight knit community here. And I'm glad to be back. So being a Colorado native, you have to be pretty experienced in the outdoors. Are you a, a hiker, a hunter, a fisher, a camper? What do you like to do? 
everything has changed over the years for me. I grew up on a small farm, small ranch, so livestock and agriculture was huge for my upbringing. And throughout that, my dad, my mom would they, take me fishing a lot. So growing up, I would kind of identify with, you know, the ag community, but recreationally, I loved to fish. So angling, I uh, would go to up by Deckers, go along the Platte, go into Waterton Canyon. They were close to home, so pretty easy to fish there, and we'd do some longer trips. But um, fishing was certainly the, the first thing. And then once I got into high school, some lifelong buddies you know, we were old enough, we could drive and we could plan our own trips in the summer. We started doing a lot of backpacking, uh, a lot throughout the Collegiate Peaks, um, uh, some out by the Grand Mesa. Uh, so from fishing into backpacking. And now with my kiddos, they're not quite old enough to backpack with, and they don't, they certainly don't have dad's patience to fish. They got their mom's impatience. Um, so we're hikers. We love to hike and uh, we've hit a ton of trails so far this year. I don't know what our mileage is on the All Trails app, but we're racking up quite a few miles so far this year. Well, that's perfect because I do a hiking podcast and website. So you're the perfect person to talk about weather on the hiking trail and uh, what to look for and what to avoid to make sure that you don't get yourself into trouble. Because I think that's one of the riskiest things that's out there along with bears and, and snakes and, and things like that. But, but the weather can really come up on you quick. Um, so I did want to talk to you about that today, uh, especially lately in Colorado, we have, uh, I believe it's a monsoon type cycle. Um, when I'm planning out a hike, let's say I'm going to hike on, on a Saturday and how far away should I start looking at that weather forecast? And are there like better or worse places to go to find, um, a good forecast for me? Uh, a lot there, so let's break it down from the forecasting standpoint first and then the threat level this time of year second. Um, so I am biased because I've contributed to a blog site called weather5280.com. I've contributed there for a number of years and that, and I'm contributing more and more now that I'm out of television. Um, that site uh, has a number of resources, whether or not you are a subscriber, you don't have to be, but we try to break down those kind of planning activities more so than what you would find on television forecasts or radio forecasts. So it's an option to give you kind of, it's more of what I kind of anecdotally call the, the heads up weather site. We're not going to give you daily forecasts, 95 and sunny. We're going to give you more of a heads up of, hey, watch out for this weekend. So in in an example of this week, already giving you a heads up of next weekend and the few days that follow because the monsoon will have an uptick in the moisture. So going to kind of the second part of this is this time of the year is the secondary wet season that Colorado has. The first kind of ramps up and goes through late winter and we get the snowpack up and then we have thunderstorms through about early June or so. And then we see the rain chances decrease late June into early July. Then late July into August, we see a secondary peak in rain chances or rainfall. And that secondary peak is known as, it's, we call it the North American monsoon. Anybody that's been in Southeast Asia, this is not a monsoon what we have here. Um, but what it is, is you get the atmosphere to become kind of stagnant and it creates a weather pattern that 
that draws in a lot of water from the Gulf of Mexico, and it's sometimes the Pacific Ocean. And it's stagnant in, in that once it establishes itself, it just likes to stay there for about six weeks before it breaks down and we transition into fall. So you look for the weather pattern to, to kind of build into where we are now. And that weather pattern grabs tropical moisture and moves it into the desert southwest, into the Four Corners, and at times the central and northern Rockies. And now the last five years, the monsoon, quote unquote, monsoon has not really been of a rainfall benefit for Colorado or really the western U.S. It's kind of fizzled. Um, and this year, we've seen some flash flood videos, say, from Arizona, western Colorado near Grand Junction, some flash flooding. Uh, Glenwood Canyon has barely been open, you know, because of rock falls and the burn scars and flash flooding. So this time of the year, it's that tropical flow of moisture that gives us a lot more potential for rainfall and very heavy rain. So look at July into early and mid-August, and then it tapers off into September. So the monsoon is kind of a season, if you will. It's not a, it's a seasonal weather pattern, if you will, uh, and it draws in moisture for us. So in that, so that's a seasonal. Is there if I'm looking at a short-term forecast, like I want to hike three days from now, I want to hike five days, seven days, where is the most accuracy in that? Where can I feel comfortable with that forecast? We can notice the atmosphere trying to bring in more humidity, more moisture to turn into rain. And in this time of the year, you can kind of start to see that seven to 14 days in advance, just knowing that somewhere in this region, we're going to see an increase in humidity. Uh, to accurately plan a hike or a camping trip, something like that, you really got to be, you know, you can kind of get a good sense three to five days in advance. But honestly, the, the location of the heaviest rainfall, probably within that one to three day window, and certainly during the monsoon, you have got to know your forecast the morning of because the monsoon, as it brings in that moisture, it's not like it's just bringing it in in the afternoon and evening. It's bringing it in for a full day or a series of days. So you may have a lightning or a flash flood risk in the morning, the midday, early afternoon, versus kind of what's ingrained in our minds to watch out for be off the hills in the late afternoon. That doesn't work in the monsoon season because you can be trapped even early in the day. So bottom line, one, you know, day of to one to three days, you can get a very good sense of the weather. And then more on a heads up basis, three to 10 to 14 days in advance. All right. So I've figured out my forecast on a day or two out and I figured out my forecast. What are you as a meteorologist? We're still in the planning stage. What are you packing to make sure that you're, you're covered for any types of weather that's coming up? Obviously you're going to adjust it a little bit, but what's your go-to, this is going to keep me safe, uh, gear that you're going to pack with you uh all first of mine the first thing that pops in is the backup clothes um it's a lot of extra weight but backup footwear backup socks backup pants backup shirt uh, the second you get wet you know how cold the rain shower in colorado can become especially if you're you know, 8,000 feet or higher. And certainly if you're 10,000 feet or higher, you're going to get cold really quickly. So the dry backup clothes, I think is, is absolutely the first thing. Uh, second to that would be the necessary supplies, more water than you used to carrying. 
more food than you're used to carrying, or at least, you know, protein bars, those kind of things. Because even if you're, let's just give you an example, you're hiking, you have your backup dry clothes, you see the rain shower approaching, it's early to mid morning, you're caught a little off guard, you find a dry spot to just hang out, those rain showers may last several hours, your lunch in the car is going to do you no good. Um, and you may be there, you know, trying to find shelter for a number of hours because the monsoonal flow, the, the storms don't move very quickly. So basically what you would carry any time of the year, I would just do more of it, more food, more water, and more dry layers to add on. What about something like a, a weather uh, radio? I know I have weather apps on my phone, but there's no signal when I go hiking up in the mountains or another place. Do you recommend weather radios and do you have like a good brand that you like? Uh, I use Midland radios um, and I have a several. Uh, I have like the desktop versions like this big that stay at home. I have the mobile radio, um, uh, which is just weather bands only. So the, the uh, sometimes you can get two or three channels of weather band here. Usually it's going to be one though, uh, but it's got multiple options. So you can find those. Those are the little handheld ones. But then more recently, I've been carrying the Midland uh, uh, walkie talkies, two-way radios, and they have a weather band feature on there. And I use those just because for me personally, it seems to have a bit more power to it, better reception power. So even in super remote areas, I can at least kind of hear a garbled uh, weather service broadcast. But yeah, that would be a tremendous thing to carry. And you're not talking about a lot of weight either. Uh, and my experience is they're lightweight. I just put them on the, the shoulder strap of my backpack. So they're lightweight. Uh, and the batteries in kind of the two-way radios versus the standalone weather radios seem to last a bit longer too. So if you're out for a full day, and, and sometimes I get two or three full days of use on one charge. So I just keep it right here and it's just a small portable little one. Um, but weather radio does work, but you do run out of reception pretty quickly. And the same for cell phones. I mean, weather radio is is sometimes worse than cell phone coverage in some cases. So having two as a backup, and then a lot of times you're just gonna be out there without a resource, um, unless you have like a Garmin that has the satellite texting stuff, uh, you're gonna be out there without any reception for anything. So you gotta, you gotta be very well prepared this time of the year for sure. Well, and that leads in perfectly to, to the next series of questions I wanted to ask you about. You know, that was going over how to prepare yourself, but I want to talk about when we actually get to the trailhead. We did the best job we could to prepare, and now it's time to get out and actually do the hike. So let's say we're on the trailhead, we've started our hike, and we look up into the sky and we see a cloud. Should we immediately panic? What clouds are the ones that we're worried about? <laughs> what clouds are the one? Not all clouds are made the same. So, so what am I supposed to be looking for in the sky right there when I start my hikes? Uh, first thing in the morning uh, during the monsoon, you'll oftentimes get high clouds or even high or, or middle ones that just look like just big rows of puffy little clouds, just like somebody threw popcorn over the floor or something. And those are okay. That's going to be the pieces of the storms left over from yesterday. But if you're waking up and the sky is mostly cloudy and and or you're already seeing the cumulus clouds that puff up with the dark bottoms and the white tops. If that's happening even in the early to mid morning, you need to watch out. That means the atmosphere is already energetic and also very filled with humidity. Uh, kind of your best sense for Colorado is we don't really have humidity. 
you're from the east in the midwest you know what humidity is yes. for colorado our humid days are not humid days but because we are a dry climate we can sense wow today feels more humid or we'll call it a humid day when you walk up you're having coffee in the morning and you sense a humid feel versus a dry morning also watch out on those days so maybe it's a clear start to the day but like this morning for example this is being recorded on thursday about thursday morning i was having coffee on the patio a cool clear sky but there felt like humidity and we're starting to see kind of an uptick there. So a few options there. So visually and what your body is sensing are pretty good indicators for what that day will hold. What about other signs of weather coming in? Again, we're out on the trail now. Um, we've looked at the clouds, but you know, a lot of times you're under a tree canopy, you're not really gonna be able to see much of the sky. So like are things like a rapid temperature change wind speed change are all of these storm related or are there other factors that can that can go in and when should you start you know really worrying about it uh this time of the year wind events will be largely tied to rainfall and thunderstorms so yes july august um kind of mid-july through mid-august that month window there if you're sensing a wind a lot of that time it's due to precipitation either forming, happening, or decaying. So yes, wind would be something to pay very close attention to. Uh, and the mountains, since you're mostly a mountain hiker guy, the direction is going to be highly variable because the mountains change that. However, if you were on the plains and you felt a wind hitting your face, you would look, is that a storm there? In the mountains, that doesn't necessarily work on the wind direction being an indicator, but the wind itself would be because you'd know that there's a, there's a rain area somewhere and it's cooling things off to create this wind. So wind would be, wind would be one thing. Uh, how the clouds grow would be another. And I think iPhones and Samsungs and things with those time-lapse features are super handy. Even a four-minute, five-minute time-lapse looking up can really show you quite quickly, you know, just five minutes of your time, you're resting anyway, you have your power bar. Watch how quickly those clouds are growing, if at all. And you can also watch their direction of movement. The thing to watch out for would be how aggressively are these clouds growing? And you can get that sense just by watching, but it's a little easier with a quick time lapse or something. And then building upon that, you're watching your clouds, you see that they are growing. What about their bottoms, the base? Are those bases getting darker in appearance or are they staying kind of whitish? The darker they get, the more water that cloud is holding and soon it will release that water as rainfall. So there's some visual indicators there. Now let's take it all the way to the spectrum. You are surrounded by thunderstorms. Is that storm there moving at me? Time-lapse can help, but also look at the anvil, the top of the thunderstorms. Uh, I'll try to crudely create my thunderstorm here. So here's your thunderstorm. And then sometimes you see the tops of them being peeled off like an anvil like this. That anvil, just like my fingers, are pointing the direction the storm is moving. So let's say, let's say I'm uh, in the Indian Peaks and I'm looking kind of toward Rocky Mountain National Park and I see a thunderstorm. 
and I'm watching that top, but I'm seeing how that top spreads and grows. If that top looks like it's gonna go over my head, that storm is moving my way. If it looks like that storm is pointing east or away from me, that storm will miss me. So that's a good visual indicator there as you are seeing big time thunderstorms. And just be also in tune with the sound. Mountains will play with the sound of thunder, um, but you can also listen. Use your ears. What are the animals reacting to? Are the birds starting to chirp a lot more and not fly? They're kind of nesting uh, or roosting. Um, what's the sound of the distant trees? Are you hearing the leaves get really rough because then you know a stronger wind is coming your way? Those kind of things. But, you know, visual aspect. And I really like the quick time lapse on a phone. Doesn't use much battery and, you know, five minutes is good. That's a great idea. I hadn't thought of, of doing that. And I take plenty of breaks when I'm hiking. So it's a good opportunity to do that. Yeah. Um, you talked about, you know, looking at the storm, seeing which direction they're going and the different, um, uh, you know, sounds of the forest and things like that. Now, when I was growing away, growing up, we had this, this game where you'd, you'd hear th or you'd see lightning and then you would count one Mississippi, two Mississippi. And then when you th heard the thunder, that was like, oh, it's four seconds away. That means it's four miles away. Is there any accuracy to any of that? Is there, or is there a good way for me to find out how far away the storm is? Because I have to move a lot quicker if it's one mile than if it's 10 miles, you know? Sure. Um, in all cases, the quicker you hear the thunder from the flash, the closer the lightning is. However, you get into Colorado in different humidity, different atmospheric layers. The mountains will reverberate the sound differently. There's not, I can't tell you two seconds means one mile or five seconds means one mile. But when you're in the mountains, it can vary based on the situation. Um, primarily, though, let's just say a rough estimate of five seconds. If you can count up to five seconds before you hear that thunder, again, in general terms, you're still relatively safe. Well over five to 10 seconds, 15, that lightning is way off there. But yeah, five seconds down to one or even less than one, I've heard it like the second you see the strike, I've heard it. Uh, that is problematic. But again, it will vary depending on the mountain range because that will bounce the sound around and echo and things and screw with you. But um, there are some apps that you can pay a very low fee for if you have reception that will plot the lightning strikes on your phone for you with a radar picture. And obviously that's ideal, but we're kind of going, we have no reception kind of case here. But yeah, I, I, if, if things are five seconds or less, I'm highly concerned about lightning. And at five, five to 10 seconds, you would say maybe it's time to start not going any higher and start coming down the hill instead of going up the hill, right? For sure, for sure. And uh, for me, I used to push it a little bit. Now I'm more cautious. If I see thunderheads going, I'm off. I'm leaving. I just don't want to get in that situation. Uh, but yeah, uh, uh, get let's say 15 seconds, I'm alert. 10 seconds, I'm replanning, getting off of the hills or lower. And then five seconds and below, hopefully I'm a second away from my car or a structure. <laughs> um, light, lightning, I mean, like you said, it, it's a serious thing. It, you could end up on a stretcher in a, in a heartbeat. Um, I want to talk a little bit about lightning because that, that is one of the more dangerous parts uh, of storms in the mountains and, and while you're out hiking. Um, 
I've seen people in videos where people's hair is standing up, people are laughing and joking, and they think it's hilarious. But that's actually a really scary time, isn't it? Uh, very. Um, there is, uh, I can't pull it up now, but there is a kind of a classic picture out there of a woman standing at the Grand Canyon, I believe, and her hair is like this. And uh, there's a thunderstorm in the distance. She later died, lightning struck and killed her. Um, and yes, static electricity is created by the movement of this water versus the dry air. So your thunderstorms are creating static, just like you're dragging your feet on a carpet. So static electricity clearly gravitates toward our hair and arm hair even. And if it's extending, that's, you know, the atmosphere is largely electrified or ready to spark. Uh, so it is handy. And sometimes I'll look at my wife because uh, her hair you know, even if we're just in town doing something, very thin hair. Uh, and if it starts to get a little staticky, we know that the atmosphere is getting ready to, to blast. Um, so that is a very good indicator. And there are fancy sensors out there in the world that sense that static charge. But, you know, for a home person, you're hiking, uh, kind of that feel on your neck, uh, for you and I, does our beard feel a little bit staticky? Uh, maybe our arm hair, something like that. That's a good indicator that the atmosphere is, is charging itself, if you will, too. So yeah, that's a good point there. But lightning is, uh, is one of the worst we, weather conditions we face in Colorado. And when you have the monsoon and that level of moisture, it can be very electric 24 hours a day not just the afternoon, like we classically think that timeline, any time of day. So, so what do I do in a situation, you know, my, my, my hair standing up or, you know, I see somebody's hair standing up, obviously you're going to try to get down off the mountain, but is that a situation where you're supposed to get on all fours? I've heard those stories, you know, get on all fours and, and it'll help. Or, you know, what are other, some of the lightning myths and, and that you want to dispel at this point? Well, certainly if you are above tree line, get down uh, as low as you can. Uh, and that would be crouched on your tippy toes. So you put as little of your body on the ground. So tippy toes, you're crouched down in a squat position. Try doing that for more than 30 seconds. It's tough, but that would be the safest. So, and then once you work down below tree line and below, you certainly have to worry about the height of the trees and everything. And you don't want to be uh, in an open meadow. Uh, you really don't want to be within the trees either. So what are you supposed to do? Get down as low as you can in the terrain. Maybe you can find a creek bed or a valley or something. Try to get down as low as you can. Uh, if you do find yourself in a maybe torrential rainfall and you can't really see, you're worried about going, also crouch down. Uh, in that meadow, somewhere away from the biggest trees, give yourself some distance, you're crouched down in that tippy toe position uh, in kind of a squat. Obviously, you'd rather be at the base camp under a shelter, um, maybe at a forest service cabin if you're near one, that kind of, that kind of thing. A, a suitable structure would be ideal, but we know we're oftentimes caught away from that. I prefer like a four seasons at that point. Sipping yeah. Hot cocoa. Yeah. Well, I'm a Ritz guy, you know, I, 
Um, I, I want to talk to you about the, the next, I think, most dangerous part of, of hiking, especially in the summer and the spring. And that's that's flash flooding. When I was out in Utah, I got a chance to hike through some slot canyons that, you know, were like six inches wide and there's signs all over like, oh, watch out for rain. But if you're in a canyon situation or you're in a in a slot canyon, especially, but even like the canyons we've seen, you know, Glenwood Canyon, you referenced earlier, um, does the rain have to be coming down right where you're at? What are the risks involved in these flash floods that that are are common this time of year, unfortunately? Well, first off, as you're planning a hike, know where the burn scars are. Burn scars will not retain any water. Every raindrop rushes down. So that's why burn scars are problematic for flash flooding. Consider a few weeks ago, uh, the flash flooding that hit the Cameron Peak burn scar in Larimer County. Fort Collins is a long way from that burn scar. And they had residual flooding. They had a lot of debris flow going there along the pooter all the way down the, the length of the pooter. So debris flow is a problem. Uh, the rainfall is certainly a problem. So you can be miles and miles and miles away from the source of the water, those thunderstorm, and still be impacted by it. You can lower your threats by being in a highly treed, highly vegetated area, so away from burn scars. Uh, cases of flash flooding, if you're in any canyon, you want to be on top of it, not in the middle of it or certainly at the bottom. Uh, Glenwood Canyon with the mud flows, uh, tremendously dangerous there. Had anyone been around the Hanging Lake parking area or, or even the bike trail that goes along the river there? Very, very dangerous in those situations and for rock falls too. Uh, so you could be dozens of miles from the actual source of the rainfall and still at risk if you're in that low-lying kind of drainage area. And, and flash flooding, there's not really warnings. You know, like a thunderstorm, you can you can hear, hear thunder, you can see the clouds building, but a flash flood is just that. It just appears, basically, right? Right. And sometimes, this is no knock on weather service, uh, but sometimes, you know, rainfall reports over a burn scar are delayed getting to the weather service. Maybe there's already flooding occurring before a warning is issued or before the local sheriff even knows, you know, to warn people. So a lot of times with flooding, it's during the event before a warning or public notice can go out and you would already be trapped. Uh, so yes, I mean, a lot of times for an uh, official warning or official uh, alert of some kind, it's already occurring before you receive that. Uh, and that's super problematic for flash floods. Uh, but a good bit of information for planning, uh, the weather service, you can just Google weather.gov boulder office. Um, and a lot of times they'll include like a a hazardous weather outlook or flash flood guidance for a day, knowing that heavy rain is coming in, they can give some details on watch out for Larimer County near the burn scars. We'll have this kind of rainfall here. And they'll give some heads up there, but for the actual event and during flooding, you will not be warned. You will see it and hopefully not trapped by it. Well, and we talked about this a little bit when, with the thunder and the lightning about what to do when the weather happens. And you said, get to, you know, as low as you can and low places, get to a Ritz-Carlton. 
Oh, you know, that, that, that's how you are. But um, oh, but, I said Ritz crackers. Oh, I can't. Uh, I can't afford a hotel. <laughs> I'm a sole entrepreneur now. <laughs> I, I understand that. Um, so, so what other anything else that you think that that you should do? I know people like you. If you see a cave, that might be a good idea, but it it might not be a good idea. Like, what are what are some things that you should do outside of getting out of the the weather? Like, I guess my big one is where I hike, there's a ton of rocks everywhere. And I want to go tuck up next to a rock because I'm going to be protected by one side, you know, but, but that can get me in trouble. Can't it? It can, but honestly, if you are in a thunderstorm in the Rocky mountains, you are at risk one level or another. So for me, it's priority based risk assessment. Am I in a deluge? Am I safer in this cave? not knowing what lives in that cave, or am I safer out here? Uh, sometimes my risk assessment will say, I'm gonna be safer in the cave. When it comes to lightning, am I gonna be safer next to this group of trees or this group of trees because I'm surrounded by trees, I have no option. So you kind of risk assess. Uh, you're always gonna be at risk of weather when you're in the weather, sadly. But you kind of have to prioritize, you know, what's your risk assessment. For me, I have been trapped above tree line uh, late at night, gets dark, lightning moves in. My only option was to settle in between some rocks. Not ideal, terrifying, but versus being down in the crater lake below me or trying to crawl through the dark, through all this mud and rainfall to get to the trees, that, I mean, I thought I'd break a leg before I got to the trees. So bad place to hold up, but best of that situation. Understood, understood. Um, hail's just terrible, is it not? Yeah, yeah, I don't, you, can do. you don't really see a lot of memes on social media saying, I love hail. Hail is my friend. I need more hail. No, we don't see that stuff. <laughs> I got caught once and it was little like pea-sized hail. And it was the most painful hike I've been in. Cause this, I mean, when it hits you in the ears and the neck and everything, like you feel every single piece of those little pellets. So yeah. avoid hail. That's my meteorological advice. I, I like it. I, that's your t-shirt. Do a t-shirt <laughs> campaign, campaign with that man little trail in the back and then like, I hate hail on the front or something. I, well, there's probably somebody out there that's like the Hail Preservation Society or something. Well, they might sue you. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> okay, so, so anything else that, that I forgot to ask you that you want to get out there and tell people uh, anything I've missed in this conversation? I just would reiterate that, you know, out of the two wet seasons, quote unquote, wet seasons, Colorado has the monsoon. Uh, is one where you can have powerful thunderstorms and flooding rainfall any hour of the day. We get into May and June, the first of the wet seasons, and it's more of thinking, well, make sure you hike early so you're off the hills by noon. That doesn't work in the monsoonal flow. You can have, I was on the Grand Mesa a few weeks ago, and it rained all night, all morning, all afternoon, and lightning too. So you can't use that I'll be fine if I'm off by noon. That doesn't work in the monsoon. That's kind of the biggest thing. And then over-prepare. I know it's a pain to pack a backpack, but when your socks are soaked, your boots are muddy, you're halfway down, you hit drier weather, I don't want to fight 28 blisters. 
it's worth it for me, the extra weight to put on the dry socks, the dry boots and get out. Um, and, you know, carrying a tarp too. That's one thing I didn't mention. It gave you some shelter, keep you drier, um, but just the extra food and water because you might plan a picnic lunch at the car, thunderstorms pop up, you don't have your food, you don't have your water. It's good to have those things with you in case you're just kind of sheltered out waiting for the rain to pass. But monsoon season can be can be pretty problematic. A lot of lightning and it's a lot of rainfall, obviously. Uh, and in, in, I think out of any season of the year or months of the year where hikers, especially if you're going a good distance, you really need to know the weather. Though That's the season you really have to know the weather um, and as best as you can and plan accordingly for it. Absolutely. Well, that, that has all been really good stuff, Matt. I do appreciate it. Um, you know, that's the hardest thing for me is trying to pick a day to hike when the weather's going to be good. And, and I talked about a blog last week about, um, you know, with these reservation systems, I think people are going to be like, well, I have a ticket to get into Rocky mountain. The weather's bad, but I'm going to go do it anyways. Cause I've always wanted to go there. And I think people, you know, that runs the risk of people getting in worse situations than they have been before. So this is all great information for people to, to take with them. So thank you. That's a very good point. Yeah. The reservation system. I think my first thought when you said that was hanging Lake, you yeah. know, all the last, you know, most of July, Glenwood Canyon was either closed or open and usually closed and you got reservations for Hanging Lake, I waited all year for mine. I'm going to be there waiting to open and I'm going to risk it to go because I've been, you know, want to get there. So that's a very good point that I hadn't thought of. Yeah. The reservation systems and weather should work, uh, give you like a 24 hour rain delay or something. Oh, absolutely. Because as I know, I've done the same thing where I had a ticket and I'm like, well, I'm going, <laughs> you know, no matter yeah. what. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Speaking of uh, wonderful hikes in Colorado or, or anywhere in the country, um, usually on this point of my, my podcast, I talk about uh, my favorite hikes. So since you're my guest today, I would like to pass that honor on to you, Mr. Makins. If you could pick a hike of the week for this week, anywhere in the world, what's your favorite hike? Uh, anywhere in the world, huh? Well, I have a different answer for anywhere in the world. That you've uh, done, that you've done. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're at home. We're thinking about this weekend. Let's stay in Colorado. Uh, I, there's, I, I do like Wyoming. I think Wyoming is beautiful and, and New Mexico is too. But Colorado, um, if I were to pick just one thing and tell somebody they had to do it, head toward Buena Vista uh, and, uh, and go through the take the uh, Colorado Trail throughout the Collegiate Peaks. And you don't have to do the full length because, I mean, it, I mean it, clearly the Colorado Trail is a Colorado Trail. But um, hit Mount Princeton or Mount Harvard. Do some segments there of the Colorado Trail. I think that area is, is really beautiful. Uh, you, get, you, can, you can look east. You can see some flat land. You see the valley there, the park. Um, you get the real true Rocky Mountains above treeline. And you also have a lot of nice forests, too. So... So the, in there, the Collegiate Peaks, uh, Cottonwood Pass, those kind of areas, that's kind of my favorite because uh, the Indian Indian Peaks and uh, like Brainerd, you get to see more wildlife like moose and stuff. Uh, but the views to me, Collegiate Peaks somewhere in there would be spectacular. So I would pick a Colorado Trail segment, segment through there. I, I have to agree with you. I've been going up there uh, recently myself and I did a uh... Uh, ptarmigan lake and oh yeah um, the harvard lakes hike uh i haven't gone up to any of the 
the peaks peaks, but I've, I've gone up uh, to the lakes about halfway up and it's just an absolutely beautiful area. I do have to ask you though, how do you pronounce it? Cause I'm not a Colorado native and I say Buena Vista, but that's not it. Is it? Buena Vista. Buena Vista. Okay. So say it the Colorado wrong Spanish pronunciation like we do with so many things, uh, like Salida and Lyman. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know if people still call it Buni. I know if you, you do, if you're from there and some of us natives still call it, we go to Buni, Buena Vista. Okay. All I know is when I say Buena, uh, everybody looks at me a little weird when I'm up there. So like what? You go back, you go back to your state, mister. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Um, I did want to give a shout out to uh, media each week and uh, Matt brought it up earlier. 5280 weather is a great website that you can check out. Matt, do you want to give a little plug for that as well? Yeah. So uh, we write uh, weather5280.com. It's largely a Colorado and super focused on front range from Colorado Springs to Fort Collins. Uh, and it's kind of heads up weather, bigger events that may move through a lot of snow forecasting, but this time of the year, it's just kind of like the heads up moments got to watch out for the monsoon so we'll post once two three times a week about maybe some monsoonal pushes um, and what that would mean across Colorado great stuff there Matt I appreciate it again uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of fat man little trail the podcast make sure you check out next week and follow me on Instagram Facebook Twitter and all those fancy social medias if you will uh, and we will talk to you next time I hope to see you on a trail soon until then happy hiking <laughs>